To the creative curmudgeon. Today we will be speaking with poet Shante Orion. Shante, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. Um, tell me what gravitated you towards writing poetry. I think much of it stemmed from a high school French class. Our teacher had us work with Jacques Prévert poems to translate and recite. And you know, these these little poems would often spiral into entire class-length discussions. And I was kind of fascinated by the way that you know such you know broad ideas and themes could be conveyed in these short, compact, efficient, you know, poems. So even though I wasn't really a writer at the time, I think that stayed with me. Um, do, do you practice or have you practiced other forms of writing or just specifically poetry? Um, I think back then, mainly, I I, I kind of think I would have liked to have been like a filmmaker or something. So maybe I would have wanted to eventually like write scripts or something. But, you know, like I, I think there were so many other things that would have been involved in that kind of thing. You know, going to film school and, you know, just, you know, there's so many different people involved. I think eventually like poetry, you know, it's a lot easier to just do on your own mm -hmm. and, you know, not rely on anyone else or anything. So I think that's kind of how it eventually shifted into that. It's the most, uh, it's the most accessible. Like I also wanted to be a filmmaker younger, but then once I realized how much time would be involved, how many people would be involved, how much money would be involved, it, uh, for like whatever ideas like I was trying to convey, it didn't seem like necessary that it was like film specifically versus like, you know, obviously there's like writing songs, but then even with like poems, you know, if there's some, that's something you can get done in, you know, 30 minutes, like write a poem. And then, uh, yeah, you you don't have to rely on so many people to green light your ideas just to get them to the next stage. At least, you know, the only person that can get in your own way is yourself. Um, it's my understanding that you haven't received much formal college education for poetry and my observation and what, you know, other people in the poetry world have told me directly is that it seems a lot harder to be published that way than if you're part of like, the elitist scholastic club of grad students and things of that nature. So I'm curious, which which I think is very unfortunate because that kind of like makes it so much more uh, inaccessible, which I think sucks. But is that made it more difficult for you? And how have you overcome that if so? There were definitely places that I, I feel might've been uh, a little more closed off to someone like, like me and yeah, some of it isn't necessarily like in a nefarious way, but just, you know, maybe being in a some kind of grad program and you know, just having some of those like natural connections to other writers and editors and publishers that maybe you'd be a little bit more aware of different opportunities and things that come up there. When you're 
on your own and you have to kind of like discover all of that stuff by yourself you know there, there's a lot more work put into that maybe but when it comes to actually publishing part of it i would i would look at some of these journals and um you know a lot of times i would look through the contributor notes at the end and there were some that you could just see like every single person in there was you know their bio talks about like oh you know like they run the creative writing program over here or they graduated mm -hmm. with their mfa over here and you know there were certain publications that i i just didn't feel like they didn't really have any interest in someone like me. And so I would try to focus more on places where, Oh, at least you'd see like a few contributors in there that, you know, they had like a little bit different background than just some kind of like a uh, grad program school background. And so I would try to focus more on sending work to those kind of places that might be more open to someone like me. I see. So it's kind of just like, as you were reading, and getting into people, then you would also take note of, oh, this press uh, puts out people that are kind of uh, more on a DIY sort of level, as opposed to people that, uh, you know, run the creative writing program somewhere or something. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, yeah. There were some journals that just seemed to like, you know, be way more academic centric. And, and I won't name some of them but there some of them it was kind of confirmed i would see like some editor forums and you know a few of the editors from some of those places kind of did mention that like oh we like to see what kind of stuff is said in in a person's bio to know you know if they're what we're looking for there were certain things that kind of confirmed some of my suspicions about certain places mm -hmm. but that being said you know, like i i have been published in you know a modest number of places that you know, were obviously open to me. So I was able to find enough places for me. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, tell me about the influence of, uh, of grunge music on you specifically, or music in general, but I'm asking specifically for grunge because I know that you went to Seattle recently and were, you know, talking about seeing the different grunge landmarks and whatnot. Yeah, I was, I was happy to see some of those places in person, you know, try to go to like the central saloon, you know, a place where, you know, Nirvana played their first Seattle gig and, you know, some places like that meant a lot to me because I think growing up in that kind of era, that was just a kind of music and aesthetic that seemed to speak to, to where I was at, you know, especially at the time, you know, so much of music and pop culture was parties and excess and success and all that, you know, these, expensive cars and fancy place everything and none of that stuff really resonated with me and so like that kind of music was a little more like introspective and um you know withdrawn <laughs> that, that mm -hmm. was more the kind of stuff that uh you know that fit into my worldview is there some way that the flow of music has inspired the way that you write i think a lot of it inspire like, most everything comes from those kind of foundations you know um like i would look at like chat books like eps and i would look at you know, like a book length as you know like your your album you know and, and so all the things that come along with that like 
you know, I was so big into just seeing like, you know, record cover art, you know, where like that kind of like sets the tone for the album that you're going to listen to. And so like when it comes to books, like I, I feel the same way about book covers and cover art and you're just like the way that the whole thing comes together. And also back then, it was kind of before YouTube made a lot of things really easy to find and everything. I remember ordering, you know, bootleg CDs and records from, you know, like all kinds of illicitly recorded shows because back then it was harder to do that sort of thing. And I remember as, you know, a teenager in my room listening to all these, you know, bootleg shows, bands playing in all kinds of places around the country. And, a lot of that really helped shape the way that I eventually would approach when I would have to do readings and performances like that. You know, there were certain bands that you could tell like every show was basically the same set list and they, you'd say the same things between each song and all this. But then there were other bands that every show was a unique experience. And, you know, there were, you know, different line, different orders of songs that would create different moods at different shows and i was really fascinated by that how much things can change from show to show and so when i eventually found myself getting asked to do readings around town you know sometimes you know do like a few readings you know within like a two-week span or something i always wanted to make sure that if anyone came to you know more than one of my readings i'd want to make sure that it was somewhat different and um you know i didn't want everyone anyone to ever i feel like oh well uh, I didn't have to go to that one. You know, I, that was pretty much the same thing that I would have seen him do two weeks ago, if that makes sense. No, yeah, totally. Like you would, you would want to like switch around the order or maybe even the delivery or something like that. So mm -hmm. like, you know, the person is rewarded for going to see you a second time. Um, yeah, just, just to try to make sure that it was a somewhat unique experience each time so that nobody would, you know, just get too bored or you know, not want to come see me again if they ever saw me before. Um, I was just kind of curious with like if music has inspired you writing poetry because in the couple of a uh, couple of poetry teachers that I've had, you know, sometimes I'll bring something to them and I'll be like, why did they do this? Like, what was the benefit of them writing it like this way? And more often than not, it's like some variation of like, I don't fucking know, but like it being kind of intuitive in the same way that like music is intuitive where it's like almost based more around like a feeling of it than like trying to get across concrete ideas necessarily, or even the way that like words are like spaced out, how it kind of uh, mimics like the way songs may like start, start and stop and have space. And so, yeah, I, uh, I started thinking of it more that way. So I was just kind of curious about that with you. Yeah, no, that that's a good point because you know, you, you don't want all poems just be so easily, um, defined or explained you, you know you want you want to leave some room for um you know people to get somewhat of a personal reaction to and you know that's what some of the best songs are too where it, it might mean something different to each person that listens to it mm -hmm. and it might mean something different to you at different points in your life you know you listen to a song again now that meant a lot to you when you were younger and sometimes it you know it has an entirely different meaning for you now and I think some of the best poems are going to be constructed that way too, where there's a little bit of room for you to, you know, bring some of your own interpretation into it. Right. 
Um, who are some of your favorite or most influential poets? Um, yeah, I, I was a big Denise Duhamel fan. Um, yeah, it, Blowout is one of her favorite books. Mine. And, um, I also love Brendan Constantine and his book Dementia, My Darling, was one of my favorites. And then, um, you know, one of the recent ones too, Hanif Abdurraqib, his book The Crown Ain't Worth Much. All of those, you know, really blew me away. Those, those, those were some of my favorites. Were there any poets that um, kind of were giving you more of a I can do this too kind of vibe, kind of the way that like, you know, punk music does for people? Yeah, yeah, there were there were things like that that I would encounter along the way. You know, sometimes it was exciting when you'd read somebody's book and there were things in there that you would have never thought would be okay to include in a in a a book of poems and it kind of like, you know, expands your, um, your own possibilities of what, what can be done on a page. Um, you know, I, there were, there were some poems from Kristen O'Keefe Aptowiz that I kind of liked in that way that, you know, there were things in, in some of her books that, you know, I, I was kind of surprised to encounter in, in a book of poems and, and, you know, that, that, that helps when, when you're writing to, you know, broaden what you think is possible. Um, do you have influential books that aren't poetry? Yeah, I think uh, early on, one of the writers um, that meant a lot to me was Julio Cortazar, um, especially his short stories. Um, I, I encountered that, you know, again, going back to I think both of us, you know, were really interested in films early on. And, uh, you know, one of the filmmakers that I, I love, Michelangelo Antonioni, there was uh, a movie Blow Up that he did, and it was based on a Julio Cortazar short story. So I had to go read that. And then, you know, and then, you know, that got me into a lot of those short stories. And, um, you know, I, I liked a lot of the stuff that he was doing was that the same era as like eight and a half and like stuff like that? I, I'm, I, I've heard of blow up. Yes, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like I, I remember reading, you know, different like film historians that kind of, you know, would say things like the whole world can be divided into Fellini, eight and a half people and Antonioni, Laventura people. <laughs> and so I, I felt like maybe I was a little bit more on the Antonioni side. <laughs> huh? How so? Um, a lot of his films dealt with dealt with uh, you know like um, people who feel really out of place in you know modern life. You know, of course, this was modern life in like sixties Italy, so I don't know how modern that is anymore. But you know, like there was that kind of stuff of like you know, alienation with you know the modern world and with you know the other people around you and all that kind of stuff that seemed to speak to my high school self. Sure. No, that totally. That's, it, 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 it's like the it's like the grunge of sixties exactly. experimental cinema. Sure. Exactly. Um, do you have a writing routine? No, I'm not. I'm not a very routine oriented person. I wish I was, but part of it, you know, my life. You know, I'm just not very 
routine with anything. And, you know, um, so there are ways that it can become a problem as far as writing, because, you know, you're wondering like, oh, some of my friends, they like have certain time frames they carve out that this is their writing time all the time. And this is when they sit down to write every morning and this, that. And there were times where I was wishing that I could tailor my life to fit that kind of thing. But now I, I kind of embrace what it is where, you know, I'm very busy you know, with, you know, going to work and, you know, dealing with, you know, different, you know, family stuff and all this stuff. And, and so um, what happens though, is that even though I'm busy, I'm, I'm really, I'm always thinking of writing and thinking of, you know, the next poem or, you know, the poems I'm working on. And it's just that I don't, always get the chance to sit down and write mm -hmm. but when i do it, it it helps like declutter a lot of those ideas where i'm able to filter out a lot of stuff that is probably not gonna lead to anything because when i do sit down to write you know it, it has to you know, i have to make it count so it's like you know the the ideas that you are really pressing in my head like those are the ones that i'm going to lavish some of that free time on and so i, I think it ends up like helping to strain out some of the stuff that probably doesn't matter as much. Yeah. And I, I just, just going with like writing or thinking of stuff just throughout your day. Like I'm, that's kind of the beauty of writing poems is that, you know, you could just be in line or something and then just like think of like a really good idea and then just kind of like work on it, like in the moment versus like if you came up with an idea for a song or something like that, where you would need those additional resources in order to see it into fruition, like in the moment. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I do you know who uh, C.A. Conrad is? They yeah. wrote a book of Frank. Um, I, I heard an interview with them uh, recently where they're basically, because they're very into like the esoteric and basically like their explanation for line indentation is that they're guided towards like whatever basically what's around them is telling them to do like that's how they indent lines oh, okay um, yeah and i'm curious yeah. about like how people come across that because that's another thing where i've like asked poetry professors like why would that person indent that line and they're just like i don't really have an answer for you man yeah yeah for, for me um you know the poems on the page are it's like a separate existence than when you read them out loud. So like those are two totally different experiences, even though you're dealing with the same poem. And so on the page, I, I look at them more like, like architecture, like structures. And so, you know, when it comes to a line, like, like if, if your eyes are stepping across the line, I want to make sure that, you know, that the line is strong enough to hold up to each step. And so then when you start putting those lines together, I also want those lines, you know, almost like a building or a structure, you know, there are certain words that are more solid than others. And so there are certain places that I feel like they should go almost like if you're building like a house or, or something, you know, there's like load bearing walls within these lines and, you know, like, the parts in the ends, like I, I, I want them to be able to like be stronger on the end. So I, I tend to not really leave lines off where you're going to leave like 
you know, like articles dangling on the ends. I, mean, I like to have you know more solid, solid words that are holding up these lines and you know lines upon line to eventually kind of build this structure that the poem becomes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it seems kind of similar. Going back to like the the comparison between music and poetry, like it seems kind of similar to just like how you know everything might drop out, for instance except for vocals or except for this guitar part or something in sort of in order to like, you know, draw attention to like this specific thing, but how everything around it is kind of important in order to like make that sort of thing really pop is like, that's kind of what I'm understanding you're, you're talking about as well. Yeah. That, yeah, that could be part of it too. Or, you, you know, some of the things that, uh, you know, you might take away certain things in order to emphasize other parts but then when you bring them back in it's going to be more noticed and yeah maybe some of that is similar to songwriting Mm -hmm. do you um break apart poems later or do you do line breaks as you go along i do line breaks as i go along but then you know i will also break those later Um, i just i don't write just like a I don't write just like a block of text and then break up later. Like you, know, I, it, it's already coming in lines, but then you, know, I might redo and reshape some of those lines later on. I meant to ask earlier, um, going back to uh, going back to schooling, um, how did you kind of teach yourself how to write poetry? I would say most of it just comes out of um, loving some of the poetry that i was reading so i you know, i i try to read a lot um like i wasn't one of those people who you know I, i've heard people be like i don't like to read poets because i don't want it to to influence what i write and I, you know, I i i feel like you should read you know a lot of poetry like i i feel like you should you should love poetry first so you know there was just a lot of poets and poetry books that meant a lot to me so you know i I think i was just kind of like learning from what i loved about some of those books and then you know also you can learn just as much from poems that you don't really like you know you're you're kind of like making note to yourself of what doesn't grab you about certain poems and you know what doesn't work in certain poets work and so that helps shape how you write you know eventually i i basically want to write the kind of poems that i would want to read um i'm curious uh about your delivery like live delivery i noticed that you kind of have a distinct delivery uh when i when i've seen you live and i'm kind of curious like if anyone in particular has inspired that or is there any like rule of thumb that you go about with that it's interesting how that evolved because when I first started out, I was the kind of poet who I didn't want anything to do with live readings. I didn't want to go to them. I didn't want to do them. I, they I seem terrifying. Like, I, I haven't I, done them myself, with, uh, but they yeah, seem very scary. It, it wasn't that. It was more that I was the kind of person who was like, these poems are pure on the page. That's where they exist. That's how they exist. I don't you know, want to hear a bunch of poets trying to you know, read their it was more like that kind of thing. And then when I finally got um, some little press back East published my first little chapbook, And when that came out, I felt like 
if that was going to be out there, like I, I needed to try to participate a little bit more. I needed to try to go to, you know, try to share it, you know, in some rooms full of people. And so I, that's when I first started going out to some poetry readings. And, and I was surprised that like, there were actually people that were doing live readings really well. And they were reading poems in ways that, you know, I enjoyed hearing. And I was surprised about that. I was glad to be wrong. Um, there were plenty of poets that aren't good at it also. But like I said, I learned just as much from the poets that aren't good at it as the ones that are. Mm -hmm. And so eventually when I started reading, I think um, probably one of my biggest influences was that when I was younger, there were a lot of recordings from, even though he wasn't a poet, but there were a lot of recordings from William S. Burroughs that mm -hmm. I was listening to. And I, in fact, there was like a huge box set that came out at one point too. And, you know, some of them were just him reading to audiences, but there were other, other recordings that his, his readings were combined with all kinds of different musicians, you know, with like, you know, there was a short story he read with Kurt Cobain's right. feedback um, guitar all over it. Mm -hmm. There was, stuff that he did with sonic youth there were recordings they did with like um the disposable heroes of hypocrisy and you know just all kinds of different varied musical acts but you know his voice was always the same he was just he was just himself reading them and somehow it just worked no matter what scenario they threw it into and um i would i would say probably that taught me more about reading in front of people than anything else just because realize you can just read them the way they sound in your head and as it'll yeah. usually work itself out. Yeah. And Burroughs had like such a distinct voice that it seems hard to even imagine anyone else pulling off his writing unless there's that additional. <laughs> yeah. 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 He was, it, it was a fascinating uh, performance every time. One of the things that I've been told is uh, most important uh is having just like a consistent method so like one thing that i was told for example is that like e, e. cummings uh would use a lot of like non-capitalization would like use a lot of undercase specifically to reflect just like how worthless he was feeling or like there was this uh bukowski book that one of my teachers suggested that I read and then I read it. And then afterwards I was like, there's no, there isn't like, you know, the punctuation and the capitalization and like, it's all over the fucking place. And then he was like, yeah, because like, you know, that was kind of representing that like Bukowski was like a fucking mess, but I'm kind of curious for you if you, if there's any sort of like method for capitalization, punctuation, things of that nature. Yeah. I, I think it might've been one of those things where, you know, e. e. Cummings did it so perfectly that anyone who doesn't use capitalization now, it, it just makes you seem like you're doing kind of like a poor your cover e. band. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, where, um, you know, all, all of his reasons for doing it and his ways to employ it, um, you know, just make make your own <laughs> seem, you know, tiny and, and uh, you know, arbitrary. Um, mm -hmm. So mostly like I, I don't really uh, try to step into those footprints at all. Um, there were one or two poems that I'd play around with it. Whereas um, 
you know, back to kind of you viewing them as, as like structures and architecture, there were certain poems that were more meant to be seen only on the page where, you know, the, the kind of like shapes of certain letters meant different things to me. And so I, I tried to control throughout the lines, like what tall letters would appear and, you know, what short letters So you know, that had something to do with the poems, but it was really only one or two poems. And for the most part, I, I don't really mess around with that much anymore. And then when it comes to punctuation, um, it can, it can come and go, but I, I think I had kind of the same advice that you had where it's like, whichever you're going to do, just be consistent with it. You know, either, either you're not using punctuation and so don't use it throughout the poem, but you know, don't just, use some random punctuation here and there. If you're going to use it, be somewhat consistent, at least within the poem. Mm -hmm. And so that's usually the kind of, um, kind of advice I follow. Do you try to write in such a way where like you are trying to write construct our powerful, like individual images, or is it largely based on how like, the words will flow together if that makes sense so like making sure that you get this like idea out there versus like oh these words sound pretty next to each other there can be some of each because i'm the kind of person that uh i feel like each poem should be its own entity and i really just want to help make sure that that poem is expressed in in the most efficient way possible for that poem. And so it could be very different the next poem I write. Um, sometimes that works against me, I think, because, you know, some people want want all of your poems to kind of sound the same that like, oh, you know, where's your voice in this? This is should be your voice. And I, I, I care more about how that poem needs to be conveyed, even if it's a little bit different than what I would normally do. So when it comes to to that, you know, there are some poems that, you know, there's like a certain idea that I'm trying to get across. So that's what's most important to me within that poem. But then there's others that maybe there are just certain certain images or sounds and words that that you're trying to play around with, you know, almost more like a like maybe like a painting or a song that you're you're hoping to get a certain feel across or a certain mood. And it might not necessarily be like an intellectual idea. Mm-hmm. So there are times um, for both. Sure, yeah. Um, do you have any closing thoughts as far as how, like, how you think people should be creative, or like some sort of creative manifesto for yourself? Um, I think mostly what it comes down to is trying to follow my own interests and fascinations. I, I feel like you know, there's such a busy world all around me. And if there's something that is interesting enough for me to focus on, or, you know, continue to think about throughout the day that, you know, that's the kind of thing that I need to pursue. That's the idea that I need to try to work with. And that if something is interesting and fascinating to me, then maybe it will be interesting or fascinating to someone else also. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I never try to waste my time uh, chasing down some things that can't hold my interest already. Sure. Um, 
All right. Well, well, thank you so much uh, for joining me. This has been the Creative Curmudgeon with Shantae Orion. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Jason.